0: Thanks to Cry Malt. Welcome to Radio Brews News, a very special edition of Radio Brews News. What makes it special? The fact that we're actually publishing it. Usual apologies, listeners. Uh, We do promise to be regular. We have certainly recorded some great interviews, uh, Pete and I, but we just haven't had a chance to uh, get together to record some intros uh, to do it, or when we do, then get the uh, show edited in a manner that makes the intros and uh pete my uh chat relatively timely so we are working on that over christmas we both hope to have some time to do that so uh let's see if 2015 we can't make it a little bit more regular um but no promises there but today uh What has prompted this podcast, and it's something that I've just uh, recorded very quickly, Um, this week Yeasty Boys announced plans to have a Pledge Me or a uh, crowdfunding campaign to fund expansion of their operations into the United Kingdom. Uh, Crowdfunding has become a bit of a thing over the last 12 months, and it seems that every week uh, I'm getting at least one or two uh, media releases coming into Australian Brewers News uh, announcing everything from a, uh, inverted commas, precision tool for your perfectly crafted beers, which... Is a was a very gushy media release about a bottle opener, through to draft systems uh, that will serve any beer uh, on 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 your desktop uh, or on your benchtop. Um, and we even received a release in the last uh, week or so about the world's first smartphone-controlled home brewing machine. We get requests to publicise uh, Kickstarter campaigns about uh, you know, beer dinners, calendars, just about everything. People are using the growing. Uh, love of craft beer to fund their ideas to uh to to get involved in the australian beer industry it's obviously a great way to get a business started in a non-traditional way and to get a little bit of funding i personally have a few mixed feelings about the whole crowdfunding thing on one hand it's an excellent way for new small and non-traditional businesses to leverage that growing consumer demand and passion for what they're doing on the other hand, there is a real element of hype and uh, I feel hubris growing into the craft beer world or at least parts of it that when combined with a new loosely regulated funding model just smacks of disaster um, or has the potential for disaster. So when the Yeasty Boys came out, Stu and Sam are great guys. They're very clever guys. They've, um, despite their love of beer and their really good approach to craft beer, they've also got a great business head um, and they're also very forthcoming. They're always happy to discuss things openly and they're good people to have this sort of discussion with. So when they came out with it, it seemed like a great way to not only talk about their own plans for Kickstarter... Uh, I, uh, sorry, uh, it's not Kickstarter, it's Pledge Me, but some of the underpinning um, uh, ideas behind uh, crowdsourcing, um, whether they share my concerns, but also some of the other um, aspects of the uh, the beer industry that they are great observers on... So I recorded this very quickly yesterday. I'm just going to run it unedited. Um, But anyway, without further ado, Stu McKinley talking about uh, their Pledge Me campaign. Before we go there, though, I do need to thank Cry Malt, who not only uh, are great supporters of the podcast, but they're very understanding that we don't get it out uh, as regularly as most advertisers might like, and that says a lot about Cry Malt. Not only do they supply the brewing industry with great malt, they also are great people who are very supporting, not only of Australian Brews News, but also of the uh, industry. So if you've got any malt-based needs, give Cry Malt a call. Now, on with the interview with Stu McKinley. Stu's head boy of Yeasty Boys, and they've today announced a crowdfunding project for to take Yeasty Boys to the world, um, seeking love money, as uh, they described it. So Stu, uh, we've, we've already heard your voice. Welcome to Radio Brews News. Thanks very much. Always you certainly be nice. to be here. Yeah, well, you're certainly no stranger. We've we've spoken to you a couple of times, yep. but uh, yeah, today um, we're sort of speaking to you about your uh, announcement today about a crowdfunding um, project for Yeasty Boys. Maybe you can start by telling us a little bit about it.
1: Yeah, sure. So, um, uh, as a lot of people know, and I'm sure your astute listeners will, um, being the sort the, of the pointy end of the beer scene, I think. Uh, I have been part time with Hasty Boys since we started. Um, Sam and I uh, started it six years ago, and we both had day jobs. Um, in recent years, we've you know we've been producing more and more beer, and it started to get to the point where it was just really hard to to you know jump between day job and uh, and evening job. I did a bit of part time work for a while, and then um, basically about sixteen weeks ago, uh, chucked that all in to sort of you know have a real go and. Uh, Put some skin in the game, I guess. Uh, and Sam still working. Sam still works full time, yeah. Although he's just... in, in in the banking industry. Sorry, in the banking industry, yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, yeah, which you know allows him the opportunity to take six weeks off to South Africa and things like that, which he's doing right at the moment, as I'm in the thick of this. Uh, yeah, so. Um, The the main reason for me to go full-time was to really work on some uh, plans that we'd been thinking about really for about um, a year or 18 months, Uh, and one of them was uh, going into the UK. We'd already thought about, we'd talked to a few people about exporting some beer there, uh, and then around about this time last year, we got uh, the offer of um, a chance to go over and brew for the Wetherspoons International Real Ale Festival, uh, which a couple of Australians have gone over and brewed for in the past as well. Uh, And... We took that as a really good opportunity to, you know, basically have a paid trip to go over there and do some research about whether or not our beer could fit into the market there and uh, and sort of how we would go about getting it there and, and sort of having it at a shelf price that would be fairly sustainable. Um, before we even left, we had the intention that, um, as contract brewers, it'd be silly to brew beer um, here in New Zealand and send it all the way over there when we could possibly do the same model over there that we do here. Uh, and um when we got over there it it went really well we brewed the beer the beer was very popular um uh, we found our brand was very popular i think the the market at the moment in the uk is really interesting it's in a place where probably australia new zealand were you know four or five years ago um and also you know very different traditional um beer market there so um Really interesting to see how craft beer, sort of new world styles, um, as you know, I like to call them, uh, are coming through and really sort of starting to sort of heat up uh, the beer scene and really um, and make it a much more interesting place. Um, splitting that, you know, right down the middle between uh, uh, the you know the traditional very good beer, uh, the real ale that I love so much uh, of the UK, uh, and then the big sort of you know factory brewed industrial lager, of course, as well. Um, and I love I love where craft beers starting to fit into that, um, you know, sort of scene over there. Uh, really exciting place. I felt, you know, as energized as I've probably ever felt more so than being in America and seeing what they're doing there. Um, the UK seems, yeah, felt like a, an exciting place to be. So um, we came back, we decided we were going to do it. And um, we kind of mucked around as we do unprofessionally for so long, you know, trying to go between day job and, and nighttime bed job. Uh, Until finally, I just said to Sam, look, you know, if we're going to really take this seriously, I'd need to quit the job and and have a crack at it. So um, it's been, you know, the um, a good part of my focus over the last um, few months since I've gone full time is is looking into how we're going to go about this and um, making the right sort of contacts and things like that. And then uh, basically just, you know, decided to pull the trigger. about a month ago, um, but we've just been spending a bit of time talking with lawyers and things like that to make sure we've got everything kind of uh, on track to where we need to be before we sort of set the date in stone uh, and when we're going to actually raise the money.
0: So how much money are you seeking to raise? I guess that the the, the media release um, without sort of putting, you know, being too rude is uh, you know, full of warm fuzzies talk about you know, love money and those sorts of yep. things. How, how much uh, concrete dollars are you looking to raise? or um, Will, will it not go and will it not go ahead if you don't raise that to target?
1: Yeah, so it won't, it definitely won't go ahead if we don't raise the money. Um, tentatively, um, you know, without, uh, you know, putting it all on the line yet, because we're we're going to release it at the end of January, uh, exactly what we'll be going for. Uh, and it'll be a window, so it'll be between such and such and such and such, but probably between uh, three hundred and 500,000. Um, could go slightly higher if uh, something else. Uh, comes into the equation, but that's that's the sort of numbers we're looking at at the moment. So, uh, and that will be um, so they're all. It's for shareholding. It's not um, you know to win a cap or something like that. Um, so you know a lot of people know about rewards based crowdfunding, which is you know been quite common in uh, Australia and New Zealand over the last few years. But not a lot of equity crowdfunding has gone on. Very new here in New Zealand. I think we've probably only had about five or six campaigns so far. And it it,
0: it it is a new model, isn't it? Yeah. That I think it was a part of the new year that um, the the pledge me um, equity um, was made uh, legal, and I guess in, in that sense it's also you know at least partially regulated. Um, I've yeah. been doing a little bit of reading yeah. about it today, so uh, you know everything has got to be done legally as opposed to some of the other um, crowdfunding um, things that you've mentioned.
1: Yep. Yeah. So. Uh, so- um- yeah, it came, came about in about April. The law was changed, start of April. And the first campaigns kicked off uh, around about August, I think it was. And the very first one in New Zealand was actually Renaissance Brewing. So um, they've already gone through a successful one not so long ago. I think they raised 600000 or something like that, maybe 700000
0: And how do you value the uh, cost of shares? Obviously, if you'd gone through a traditional IPO process, quite apart from all of the costs involved in that, um, you go to market and the market gives you an indication of what the brewery is valued at. Yeah um, how, how, how do you come up with the value of the uh, to the, the shares? Yeah, so we
1: um, we basically went through um, talking to some advisors around how we were going to go about that um, did a bit of research into how other businesses have valued themselves and everything. It's obviously um, you know uh, a, a very difficult um, proposition to do because you know you could have such a wide, variety of um, prices. So in the end, you know, the market will dictate whether or not we've hit it right. Um, We've gone for what I would consider a fairly conservative, um, you know, uh, uh, valuation in comparison to some of the other ones that I've seen around. Uh, And we looked at, you know, lots of other businesses in related industries, so across the sort of food and beverage sector and things like that. Um, Obviously, again, quite hard to get information from them because not a lot of the information on small companies is public. So when a small company takes in investors, usually um, that's all behind closed doors and no one really sees what's going on. Uh, so it's only when you get either an IPO or um, or the equity crowdfunding, which obviously we'll start to see more and more of, uh, it's it's kind of like a mini IPO, um, slightly less regulated. Um, we still have a lot of the regulations that uh, a big company would have to go through in regards to the takeovers code and things like that. So um, it's certainly I've spent a lot more time with lawyers um, in the last uh, couple of weeks than I have in the entire six years before this. Um,
0: w- one, of, uh, one of the um, similar cases that we've seen is uh, Brewdog, um, the Scottish brewery, um, both very proudly of being punks and uh, you know, very anarch- anarchic in their presentation, but they still seem to have a very interesting beer model. Um, or they, they released an Equity for Punks scheme uh Eighteen months ago, where they were asking, you know, beer lovers and their followers for ninety-five pounds for a share, um, and it turned out that they'd sold large stakes of the company to other investors for fourteen pounds a share, which seemed to be a, a fairly significant premium for love. Um, is, is that potentially something that could happen in this case, or are the shares, however they're valued, um, how it's going to be valued for all comers?
1: Yeah, they are valued um, exactly the same right across the board. So any share that Samurai holds or and share that someone buys in uh, is worth exactly the same. It'd be worth the same amount if we sell. Uh, exactly the same dividends would be paid if we pay dividends at some stage, which we would hope to do. Um, we certainly don't uh, intend to pay any dividends in the next few years because you know there's a lot of growth, and we intend to probably actually raise more money, I think, in the next year, uh, especially if things are as successful as we think they could be in the UK. Uh, but yeah, there's no, there's certainly no um, smoke and mirrors going on in this. Um, one of the things that probably held us back, we, we contemplated doing the actual raise before Christmas, um, but we got into some pretty in-depth conversations with PledgeMe around um, the way we do uh, the rights around our shares. Uh, so essentially what we've come up with in the end, um, basically because the, the law's an ass, you know, as many people would know, uh, for a small company like, like us, if we, if we have more than 50 voting shareholding packages, uh, we would have to, um, if we wanted to change any of those shareholding packages over 20%, we'd have to go through um, the takeovers panel in New Zealand, which is, essentially means uh, we have to get an independent report written. Uh, this is even if the company wants to buy shares off someone who's, you know, so say someone buys into the company. Uh, finds out six months later that they need the money for some reason and we decide, well, the company's got cash, we could buy the shares back off that person, um, we would still have to go through getting an independent report because it would change the shareholding for Sam and I. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the independent report would cost us about 50 grand, uh, which is obviously not the kind of cost that you want uh, when you're a very small business like us. 50 grand is obviously you know hugely important to us. Uh, so... Um, so we went through um, some various things to make sure that we found uh, an option there that would be uh, that we would find, you know, could keep us as nimble as we want to be, but also um, give the shareholders the right kind of um, you know feeling that they are still you know an important part of the company. So we're going to split between uh, voting and non-voting shares. Um, non-voting shares are still not technically non-voting because they still get to vote on certain things, um, like you know if we. Had to go into liquidation, or if we were going to sell, or something like that. Um, they still have some writing things. They just don't vote about the more sort of day-to-day things around, you know, electing a board and stuff like that. And we figure that the smaller investors are probably not as interested in, uh, in that sort of thing as they are um, in regards to, you know, a bigger investor who's going to put in fifty thousand dollars or something
0: like that is obviously going to be more interested in those sorts of things. Um, okay, if, if I buy shares um, and uh, you know, in, in six months' time that I have a change of circumstances. Um, beer writing is a very uh, dubious profession. I may need my money back. How how can I get my money back? Is there a market, that, a secondary market, you can sell the, the the shares under pledge me, or am I just stuck with them, um, but and wait and see where it goes?
1: Yeah, there's no there's no secondary market at this stage. Although um, there is there is. A little bit of talk around New Zealand about a secondary market for this, and, and I know PledgeMe are pretty keen on it, um, but there's no promises in, in that regard at the moment. Um, I would like to think that the business can buy yourself buy those shares back, and that's that's part of the goal of um, you know why we've tried to keep this sort of more nimble model that's below the 50 shareholder um, package, because that's it's really key to me. I know that a lot of the people who will invest here are people who are you know friends and family of ours, um, people who we've known through the beer industry for quite a long time. Um, and we want to make them, you know, have the, the easiest option out uh, if they can. Um, the other option is, of course, uh, PledgeMe have a, um, an online um, uh, communication system that all the shareholders will be linked into. So we can always offer those shares to other members, and that might be, you know, Sam or I buying them personally or um, other shareholders who have bought in earlier or something like that or bringing in completely new shareholders as well.
0: Okay, I, I, just on your comment that the law is now, so I guess, you know, we, we all love to complain about red tape until we're the ones getting screwed over and then exactly. suddenly you see uh, people wanting to, uh, you know, where, where's my protection? And Uber's a great example at the moment where, you know, in terms of the service they provide with the app, um, it's fantastic, it's cheaper than taxis, but at the same time they're not uh, regulated and, you know, it, it, as soon as there is an issue arise and the government feels the need to step in and regulate, the prices go up and... Uh, um, do, do, do you have any fears um, you know, Not from your own point of view With the, the, the um, Pledge Me Offer But you know, are there any issues in, in, in the model that concern you? Um, I guess
1: taking on a lot of shareholders Will be a you know, fairly administrative um, you know, Big administrative task for us to look after So uh, there are some concerns there for me um but i think that the benefits there outweigh the the negatives in regards to you know we we did have a kind of walking talking army of shareholders um we recently did a, a beer calendar in new zealand where lots of breweries and uh, whatnot got around and, and you know did a photo shoot for a month and raised some money uh um for a very good worthy cause uh, and sam and i you know did our shoot by ourselves and, and i've always felt like it would be nice to have uh, you know a bigger army of people around us um I'm a very social person, as you know, uh, I'm sure, and you know I feel good when I'm in a big crowd of people, and I think this is, you know, our opportunity to to form that, you know, crowd and sort of formalise it. I think a lot of people probably already feel like they own a, a bit of Yeasty Boys, and uh, um, you know, it'd be quite. I think it's nice to to formalise that in some way.
0: Um- On that end, just going to your um, media release, and I'll just uh, quote a few things. I I was having a look at uh, both what you said and then also um, what uh, Pledge Me said. For example, looking at the what are the risks section on on, on the Pledge Me equity uh, site, Um, and I'll read it to you. Uh, The company may not be able to grow to plan. You may never make a return on your investment or get your money back but you'll be taken along on the entrepreneurial ride. You'll be helping people you know or the people that have created products you love and they'll appreciate that support to the moon and back. And I sort of look at that statement, that's in the risks, and yet most of that risk is all about the feel-good aspect of investing and helping the people, which is a very nebulous benefit. So I don't even think it belongs in the benefits section, but how much of this... um, platform as much as it gives you the money how much of it is dependent on the way people thinking with their hearts um and not necessarily with their heads um it depends on the person i guess uh there sure
1: is a bit of that um going on and we're not afraid of um you know uh of of realizing that that will go on um in fact you know it would concern me that there's potentially people who can't afford to buy shares who may be buying shares, um, but they could go and buy, you know, anyone's shares as well. So um, you can't completely vet every single person by going into their home and looking at their own bank account and stuff like that. Um, but Sam and I, I think, are very, we've probably shown that we're actually, we're, we're pretty conservative. Our beers are not. Uh but as a business, we, we've been pretty conservative. We've, we've turned over a little um, you know, profit basically every year since we started. Um, we're not, uh, you know, we're not taking a massive risk on this. I don't think we're taking a, a pretty calculated uh, move. We're putting all the right um, processes in place and the right, you know, distribution in place and things like that. We're actually working with uh, some other brewers at the moment about um, forming a collective uh, for the UK. So we're actually Cutting out quite a lot of the cost in regards to you know that early risk and getting our beer there and having someone on the ground to sort of represent us as New Zealand brewers. So um, I feel in the end I think when when people are going to uh, if, if going to put some money in buy some shares and Yeasty Boys um, they have to feel comfortable uh, with who we are and I think I mentioned that in the press release as well. In fact I know I did. Um, uh, I was probably actually not in the press release. It was in a blog because I wrote a blog at the same time, which was more. Oh, I'll link to that. Yeah. yeah more related to um, the people who probably want to, uh, you know, invest. And I sort of I wrote the four, you know, key points that I see about our business. And um, you know, generally, you know, traditional investors are looking for uh, what the market's like and what the management team is like. Um, we're looking for people who who want to look at that. And I think um, if you look at Sam and I, uh, if you look at the advisory board that we're putting together, um, which you'll soon see when we put out the sort of formal information, uh, and when you, you know, the people who, a lot of the people here who have already signed up some interest are, you know, people we know already. Um, They know that we're stand-up guys, you know. We don't miss paying bills and we, um, we, we say what we think. Uh, we pour beer down the drain when we have to, uh, and we, we do everything as, as good as we possibly can. And I think that's really what you can ask for in, in a business, and especially a small business like, like us. Um, we're putting the right kind of um, governance around our business as well to make sure that we have people asking questions of us, to make sure that we're um, making the right moves and, and asking ourselves the right questions when we um, when we make those moves. Uh And then, uh, you I say, as I say, after those sort of two things about the market and the management team, uh, which traditional investors are looking at and are less interested in what your product is or anything like that. I think a lot of our investors are really interested in the product. Um, uh, That's why they've, you know, come across us. That's why they've loved what we've done over the last six years. And um, and then, of course, you know, lastly, um, as I've sort of alluded to over that sort of big ramble there, I think um, A lot of people can probably feel pretty safe in the fact that sam and i are are, you know nice fellas who are um, trying to make good beer first and foremost and uh, hopefully make a little
0: bit of a return for people on the side as i said to you uh in our brief chat before we we started recording um you know none of this is obviously in in beer years you and i have been friends for a long time um, i mean i think you know how rapidly evolving the uh, beer world is that beer years and dog years have a rough uh, approximation I think in terms of the pace but uh you know and none of this is a reflection on you guys I guess it's more as we see it increasingly um you know people see going to crowdfunding um that may not necessarily have thought through their models and there is a lot of hype and there's a lot of um faddishness in in the craft beer scene at the moment and uh, I, I guess and I'll get you to comment on this um I have uh, a little bit of a concern that faddishness and hype um, are possibly, in, in some areas, uh, taking over a little bit more about quality. Um, do you have any concerns about uh, you know, where, where the craft beer market is going and how rapidly it's developing and uh, what that some some of the implications of that rapid development? Um,
1: I do, I do, and I don't. Um, so I guess you could say I do. Uh, I think there's a there's a growing up aspect to it that um, makes a lot of people at the moment feel uncomfortable. Um, you know, we were we were a small, tight knit little group in uh, in Wellington, especially. Um, you know, even two or three years ago. And uh, Now there's people all over the place opening craft beer bars who we don't know. And you know, there's um, if the industry's going to grow, we have to accept that, uh, and we have to embrace them. The people that come in from the outside and who are new to it, and uh, and help educate them, I think, and uh, and we have been, you know, leaders in that. I would suggest, in regards to helping other brewers start up, um, you know, knocking down some of the doors in the market and um, and helping other people come through them as well. Uh, I think anyone who knows us will know that we've been, you know, very very prominent. Um, uh, in regards to the entire sector and, uh, you know, I've sat on the Brewers Guild committee a couple of times. Um, I've spent countless hours, um, helping people, um, understand how, our pricing model works so that they can, um, help set out their own, um, brewing company and stuff like that. And I think that the more we help each other and the more we trust each other, then the better it will be in the long run. Cause I, th- I see it really, I'm single-minded in the fact that, um, I want the entire craft beer sector to grow and fragment what we currently have. So instead of having two or three breweries, you know, run all of New Zealand and all of Australia, I want to see, you know, 50 to 100 breweries, you know, taking up 50% of the market, and then another thousand breweries or something taking up the rest of the market. Um, I don't see any reason why we can't do that. Uh, I think if we if we go about it the right way and we work together in the right way, I think um, that will happen. Uh it's not gonna happen soon. It'll probably be in my old years where I finally sort of smile and think we've we've reached that point. Um but I'm 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 very optimistic in that regard. Uh and sure there will be people who um flash and burn and uh there'll be businesses that go under and there'll be people who um are lost to the industry through drinking problems or um, you know, Businesses who go under because someone gets divorced and they can't afford to run the business anymore and things like that. Um, those things are, are part of life, but if we work hard together and we we really support each other, I think we can, um, yeah, we can do it. And we have no aspirations to be a certain market share, like a five percent or a ten percent or anything like that. Um, we want to actually stay under the radar in many ways, and, and we want to grow our business based on, you know, where we are now uh, rather than. Where we think we should be in the market, um, so we think we could, you know, basically double our business based on uh, what we do in the UK. Um, but we're still very happy to be 0.1% of the market or something like that. Um, we're not trying to be uh, another Coopers or even a Stone and Wood or anything like that. Um, we see it as a good place in the market
0: for our, you know, small business and for lots of businesses like us. Just going back to your point about uh, the market growing and the, the number of players that are coming in, um, which I, I think is an interesting one. There can always be an element where people are scared of growth, but I guess I, um, you know, I look at the local market in Australia and see the number of people who are involved in the craft beer industry that um, you know, probably don't remember a time, uh, you know, uh, what, what I call B. Um, LCP, um, which is you know before little creatures parallel yeah. um, that they, they don't remember the time when if you walked into a, a restaurant and or a bar and they had Coopers on tap that was a joyous experience um, and uh, th- they've been you know born at least in the age of majority where they could drink since um, yeah. into a time where they've had uh, craft beer on tap um, and uh, you know I, I wonder whether when you've always had an ever changing Palette of craft beers at hand um, and small independent craft beer is all well, you've ever known whether you have the same grounding in tradition and quality that uh, you, you went to some pains to allude to in your um blog post talking about how you know despite your adventurism with, with styles um you still know your basic styles very very well um do you need to have some understanding of where beers come from to under to appreciate quality um and you know is there a fear that quality is being lost in amidst the experimentalism, the faddism, and the uh, you know the, the fashionability of what's going on at the moment?
1: Yeah, I would say um, there definitely is, but I wouldn't say it um, as a I wouldn't say that the low quality beer is uh, a bigger percentage than it was five years ago of the total volume of you know craft beer. I would say that it's just more easily available now because you know. Um, five years ago, it might have been, you know, one and one twenty pints or one and ten pints, depending on how fickle you are or how, um, you know, uh, keen senses you have. Might have been a bad pint, um, and it's probably a similar amount now, or, or probably even less. I'd say the quality's probably improved overall, but uh, there's just a much wider uh, array of beers available on the market. Obviously, a lot more small players coming in. Um, and we find a lot of people are very price sensitive in regards to where they do, especially like the contract brewers. People are looking around for the cheapest price or, you know, trying to um, push contract brewers down in their pricing and stuff like that. Um, whereas for us, you know, um, quality is the the most important thing uh, for sure, without a doubt. And uh, we, you know, have always realised that to make good beer, it's going to cost us a lot of money and we're going to have to have a very high price point on the shelf. Uh, And if we can't sell it, then we can't sell it. And that's part of the reason that, you know, we see the future of Yeasty boys being in in sort of four or five countries rather than in one where we're trying to, um, you know, break through and hit that, you know, 1% market or the 2% or 5% of the market. Um, I think a lot of those poorer quality sort of new entrants, they'll either improve or, or, um, you know, be forced out of the market because um, I think the public perception of craft beer is um, in in some ways um, we really benefit the fact that the big breweries made such great quality beer, You know, even if it wasn't very nice tasting. Um, there's been so much really good quality, well-made beer um, across the market in New Zealand and Australia for many, many years because it's been dominated by, you know, Giant scientific laboratories, essentially. Uh, so there is, I don't think there's a lot of room for small players to to, to pump out crappy beer. Um, we get called up on it, you know. If anything goes out that people aren't expecting, even for recipe changes, people know pretty quickly, and it's pretty quick for the um, you know uh, untapped and rate beer ratings to come in and say this isn't the beer it used to be, or something like that and that that may well be batch variation or um you know just the the mood that the person's in on the day or something like that
0: Um, or just their palate has changed and you know that they discovered your beer early they've been on a bit of a journey since yeah so when they come back to your beer it feels like it's changed
1: yeah and i think that there's um you know there's, there's a wide variety there's the people who are the most fastidious about quality Uh, And then there are people who are very fastidious about it, and then there are probably people who, you know, don't care at all about it. Um, And, yeah, I can't imagine that they would stick around for long or grow um, very far, because there's there's not a lot of money in it, as you probably know, and um, a lot of brewers will tell you, that it's pretty hard to make a buck off making beer. um, But it's a pretty awesome feeling to wake up in the morning and, you know, know that um, beer is part of your life, you know, for the whole day. Uh, It's a pretty, pretty cool industry to be involved in, Uh, and I think that, um, you know, the the smaller players who get in and just pump out all sorts of interesting beers to try and grab attention um, will probably realise that, you know, you've got to make just good quality, drinkable beer if you're going to even make your money back on a batch of beer, let alone uh, actually make any money and pay all your
0: other bills off it as well. And and on that, you talked about the, um, well, you you mentioned both you'd like to see there be a thousand. breweries are with the small um, you know all sharing the market and and uh, mentioned the the big brewers who made consistent you know and good but not necessarily flavoursome beer yeah Um, you know there there seems to be going back to those guys have discovered craft beer in the last few years there seems to be this view that the market concentration came about purely as a result of the bastardry of big brewers you know that they screwed everybody they bought the taps and that's what drove their market success. But there's a substantial, if not the bigger element of it, is that they were giving people what they wanted. Um, That They were very resistant to change as people wanted something different, which allowed the small craft brewers to come. But they were effectively giving people um, cheap, uh, refreshing, um, consistent beer um, and, and there was certainly a market for that. Yep. Do you think that has that, that, that element of the market has changed irrevocably, that you know those basic principles ha- have gone and we won't go back to that at some stage?
1: Uh, I, I think it is changing, uh, and we may well go back to it, but uh, when I go to a beer festival these days, I feel like an old man there, and uh, it's really good. It's the most positive thing about the beer industry, I think, at the moment, is, that, um, is how many incredibly smart um, and... Uh, people with great palates who are coming through who, are, you know, they shock me when I think they're in their mid-20s and I find out they're 21 or something like that. Um, those sorts of people, are very few of them will ever be able to go back to just buying cheap piss for cheap piss's sake, you know. They love beer and um, not necessarily just beer, you know, they love um, they love their food and they love their um, different sorts of you know, beverages, whether that's beer or wine or spirits or, um, or non-alcoholic ones. We're seeing in sort of craft... Uh, or sort of slow food kind of movement, you know, really explode, uh, especially in Wellington. But uh, either the fingers are kind of stretching out into to other areas in New Zealand as well now, and I think um, I, I don't really see it going back. Possibly if we had another Great Depression or something like that, um, it could go back. But I think people are now more and more willing to invest, you know, uh, a little bit more money and a little bit less of a product. Um, and I think that, you know, we're just, you know, we're going to see more and more of that. There's still going to be people who are competing on price, uh, but they're going to be competing on the sort of $19 six-packs rather than the $12 six-packs or something like that. Um, you know, New Zealand's a pretty small market, so uh, we don't see a lot of, you know, craft beer around the sort of $12 to $14 mark, which is what, the, what the big breweries hit with their kind of craft, you know, craft arms. Um uh, there's no way we could even ever hit a $19 six pack,
0: and um, any kind of modelling we've done for uh, our pricing or anything like that. Um, and, and, and see, on that that flags one of the concerns that I've got for the for the local market over here. We have, um, you know, for example, Mountain Goat, who were one, who were some of the you know early um, champions of craft beer. They yeah. really pioneered um, the market in a lot of ways and did a lot of the hard yards. Now getting their beer made by Asahi, um, the, the Asahi Brewery in Melbourne. Yeah. Um, they don't tell anyone about that, but um, you know, if you walk into Dan or into First Choice, which also gets its home brand beer made at the same Asahi factory, um, they're quite happy to tell you that their beer comes out of the same uh, brewery as uh, Mountain Goat, yeah. and theirs is a uh, twenty to twenty-five dollars a carton cheaper. Um, my fear is that you know that model um, allows the, the market to form the view that doesn't matter where the beer comes from. It doesn't matter who's making it. It comes out of the same factory. I'm just going to buy the cheaper beer. Um, and that then tarnishes all of the brewers who are uh, uh, adopting a different model um, with the consumer mindset that doesn't who makes the beer at all uh, comes through the same. Yeah. Is that a real fear, do you think? Um, or is my fear legitimate?
1: Yeah, it's legitimate for you, I guess. Um, it's less of interest to me because it's not... Uh, they're not the sort of customers that we're we're looking at, and we never have. Um, I guess we started at the you know at the very pointy end where the first couple of batches of beer we ever made. Um, I, w- I would say that I knew you know almost ninety percent of the people who drank them. Um, and now more and more and more people who we don't know are drinking our beer. And obviously, as we ship beer around the world, more and more people who we you know will never know um, are drinking it as well. Um, and I don't see problem with the mountain goat model either I, I don't see why you can't make um really good beer and then um really cheap beer in the same facility um some people may have some kind of ethical um concern so who's, about- saying,
0: who's saying one's good beer and one's cheap beer i've done blind taste tests um with a, a, a variety of things I'm not telling anyone where they're from yeah and uh the the, the steam rail beer is sometimes come out uh, on top yeah um yeah, so
1: yeah, yeah. um Yeah, well, that's what I mean. You know, you can make, uh, you know, your cheap sort of party packs in there and they can be really good. And and obviously the quality uh, in a brewery like that is um, is more likely to be, especially around the packaging side, is is more likely to be a lot better than what Mountain Goat could ever afford um, in their brewery down in Richmond. Um, So, you know, obviously makes sense to them, which is why they're brewing there, I think.
0: they- oh, and, and, and this wasn't particularly a, a go at them. It was just yeah. one of the clearer examples um, because, you know, I'm I, I, like, like you, I'm feeling a little bit of an old man. But I remember in the, the 70s and 80s going down the shops of Woolworths and Coles and going to get baked beans. And, you know, there were five brands of baked beans and mum would reach for the black and gold home brand one. Yeah. and uh, when i'd say you know protest she'd say oh you know she'd
1: same. wink and
0: say it comes out of the same factory yeah. and look at the price difference yeah and these days um you know we're within my uh you know hopefully half of my lifespan, we're at the reverse position where there are four home brand um and one leading brand and uh my fear is that the you know once the spectacular growth for the craft beer market um slows down a little bit um you know, once people believe that it doesn't matter where the beer is made, um, it comes down to price, that all of the brewers um, will, will, will suffer for that as, as they get squeezed off the, the shelves by the cheaper product.
1: Yeah. I think if you chase volume, uh, it's a very, very real risk. Uh, and we're very aware of that. We're not. That's why I've said, you know, we're not chasing volume. We're not chasing uh, any kind of market share or anything like that. Uh, we're not interested in that because um, you do place yourself at a um, – you know, in a very difficult position. Uh, I've heard of people who, you know, sell the vast, vast majority of their beer and through the supermarkets um, and can't understand why they're not making any money because they just keep pumping out more and more and more beer and they're not making any money. And that's, of course, because, you know, the, the supermarkets demand such a low price for them to sell through on their shelves that you can't really make any money off it. The only one who's making any money off it is the supermarket and that's because they're selling, you know, yours plus 10 times the amount of everyone else's as well. Um, So they're doing it on small margins and, you know, heaps of volume. It's pretty hard to do that as a small brewer, uh, especially brewing, you know, the kinds of beers we do. Um, You're just not going to sell massive volumes of Rex Attitude or or Gunna Matter. I mean, we sell quite a bit of Gunna Matter already, but... um, it's not as if we could ever sell as much of that as a five uh, percent pilsner or a summer ale or a Pacific ale or something like that, um, and uh, and we're not yeah we're not really after that kind of thing, so we model our success a lot more on, um, you know the kind of um, you know just growth against our own uh, business you know where where we think we should try and hit in the next year and and whether or not we make it uh, and trying to you know keep everything as lean as we possibly can while still using all the best ingredients. Um, and and that's, that's an expensive kind of model to, to do. But um, when you don't have any employees, really, any full-time employees for six years, you can get through doing it that way. Uh, and now, you know, at most, we'll probably have um, a couple of employees, um, you know, by kind of midway through next year or something like that. And um, I think we can, we can get through uh, with a, that kind of lean model. Good way to work if you're, you know, naturally fairly conservative as a business person uh, like Sam and I both are. Um, we, you know, we, we care about all the people we work with, so um, we pay a good price to Invercargill to brew our beer. Um, we, um, you know, we when we won the champion beer at the Hong Kong International Beer Awards, it was uh, a case of beer to everyone in the brewery as a, a thank you. Um, you know, we, we care about the people who make our beer because we want them to care about the beer that they make for us. Uh, and we acknowledge them whenever we put out a press release for winning any kind of beer award or anything like that. Uh, it's always, we were very clear to to ensure that people know who those people are and um, and that they feel somewhat rewarded for, um, for you know, what they're doing for us. Uh, you know, they're, they're really a, a partner of ours rather than a, um, a you know, just some facility that makes our beer. Uh, I've looked at other potential breweries um, at times when we didn't have enough capacity at uh, Invercargill. We've brewed at other places and it's a really good feeling to go back to Invercargill and uh, see the way they kind of treat their staff and the way they think about them and um, and they kind of run their business and the same kind of uh, I know, generosity of spirit that I would like to if I ran my own brewery. Um, so that's, yeah, that's very important to us as well.
0: But chatting, I always love chatting with you, as you know, uh, but we've gotten a little bit off topic and uh, I'll probably have to bring it um, to a close fairly really soon. So we might even uh, you know, look at doing this semi-regularly, um, yeah. just like we do the podcast. But just back to the, um, uh, the equity um, offer, um, you, you mentioned that you were looking at the UK because of your success there and the cost um, you know, Im- implications of brewing contract brewing in New Zealand and sending it to the UK when you can just do the same thing there. Why not Australia? Um, I, I guess the shipping to Australia in the volumes that you do, uh, you, you, your beer could be made more cheaply in Australia um, and you already have an established market here. Have you considered uh, bringing that model to Australia or is there any reason why you haven't uh, gone that way?
1: We sure have, yeah. Um, we've talked to a couple of people uh, about the potential, especially keg beer, because uh, we get um, taxed very highly on um our keg beer, as opposed to if we putting them in 50 litres instead of 30 litre kegs, um, we could potentially save a fair bit of money on there, and it's money that's really, you know, of no benefit um, to anyone uh, except for the government, of course. Um, but it seems ridiculous that, you know, the same amount of alcohol in a, a larger package is um, going to be taxed at a different rate from what it's like in a smaller package. So we've looked at um, the potential there. Um, at the moment. Because it's a pretty quick turnaround to you know, get beer from Invercargill to Australia, uh, that hasn't been as much of an issue for us. Um, but I think if we're going to look at seriously brewing um, any kind of decent volume in Australia over the years to come, that um, we'll probably have to look at it. Uh, if not for um, all our beer, then certainly for keg beer, I think. Um, we, don't, we don't sell a lot of keg beer at the moment. We only do um, sort of 25 to 30% of our total volume. Is in keg, um, which is probably the opposite of a lot of big breweries. I know Emerson's, uh, especially, they were seventy um, percent in keg. Uh, I think they still are uh, after selling to to Lion a couple of years back. Um, and I mean, the beauty of bottles is that they're easy to, you know, get into to any kind of venue, uh, as opposed to a keg, which obviously requires some sort of investment, um, which all the big breweries have done over years. Um, it's just a matter of, yeah, finding the right time and the right place and the right person to brew our beer. Um, we've got a couple of people in mind. Um, we have talked to some people. Um, but now with this UK thing, probably um, on the back burner for now, I think at least until um, later, later 2015 or, or sometime after then.
0: And I guess the last question I wanted to ask was um, your media release has lots of uh sort of emotion and a lot of uh of passion um you do have to provide financials and boring stuff like uh for you know uh business plans and uh projections and those sorts of things uh when you release it and that all will come out in january i believe when you uh, kickstart the campaign i probably shouldn't call it kickstart given it's pledge me but when when you when you uh, get started with the jump start the uh, pledge me campaign
1: yeah yeah, yeah. So that all come out, and that obviously has to go through, um, you know, lawyers and uh, our advisory board will have a really good look at that. Uh, the pledge me board has a good look at it as well. So um, obviously, um, you know, it has to go through quite a few hoops before we get it out there. Um, and we just have to be, you know, very happy ourselves in the fact that we're um, we're presenting a, an open and honest model. And I think anyone who's looked at what we've done over the last five years and seen how open and transparent we are about our contract brewing and whatnot will um will probably feel pretty comfortable in the fact that you know we're we're obviously going to be very open about this as well i kind of liken it to a um a naked selfie you know we're um we're putting it out there on a dating website and people (laughs) decide whether or not they want to date us
0: (laughs) but is there any minimum investment you know like uh does somebody need like five grand to to be able to get involved or you know could i just uh, kick in you know Fifty dollars and uh, you know, have one share or you know, two yeah. shares of uh, Yeasty Boys. We're
1: probably going to look at. We haven't decided on it uh, completely, but it'll probably be five hundred dollars minimum investment, um, and a lot of that will be based around uh, the kind of the non the non-dividend rewards that we um, are going to be, you know, looking at doing. Um, just making sure that we don't sort of end up with, uh, you know, ten thousand investors who are all uh, have all put in fifty bucks each and are getting, uh, you know, a good discount on beer and stuff like that.
0: So, so there will be uh, T-shirts or stubby coolers or uh, cheap beer um, yeah, as, yeah, as part be, of the investing?
1: there'll be some stuff like that in there as well, um, uh, but obviously not so much that it uh, becomes the only dividend that we you know hope to give out over, over the years to come.
0: So there, there may even be uh, financial dividends coming at some stage?
1: I, I'd like to think so, yeah, yeah. We'd be pretty upset if we couldn't provide some sort of financial uh, reward uh, at some stage in the future.
0: One last question, any new beers that we can uh, break to the world? Oh, um,
1: it's got, we've got so much on the go at the moment. Uh, we're about to send a big shipment uh, to Australia. Uh, Sent quite a bit in the last six months, actually, and I was hoping to not send one before Christmas because we were running a bit tight, but um, Phoenix had come through with another order. so. Um, there's going to be a couple of new beers there, the His and Her Majesty 2014, which we're just packaging now, um, will be out. So they'll be there in kind of early January. And um, Her Majesty's a double IPA, our first double IPA in six years. Probably the slowest to come around to brewing a double IPA of every brewery in Australasia. Um, an Imperial Porter for His Majesty. Uh, We've got a a beer called the Southern Malt Collective that was a collaboration between Five Breweries and Gladfield Malt, our kind of craft maltster in New Zealand. Uh, And that was partly for me to go down and have a good check around their site. And we don't use their malt at the moment. We use all uh, Scottish, English and German malt. So um, it's a nice chance to play with their malt. Um, And then um, early next year, we're going to release a... um, couple of interesting beers. We've got a a beer with uh, Kaskara um, which is the coffee cherry uh, coming out that's just been brewed and then um, uh, our first sour beer as well um, sometime in the early new year as well so they're pretty exciting things. After a really really busy year with our new New Zealand distributor and trying to keep on top of just our regular um, beers we've kind of we let the, the seasonal stuff get away from us a bit and found out that by the end of the year, we'd only done a couple of seasonals, so I'm kind of
0: making up for lost time now with um, with heaps of them all at once. Stu, always great to chat with you. Stu McKinley from uh, Yeasty Boys. Good luck. Look forward to – have a great Christmas, firstly. Um, look forward to reading all of the uh, equity documents and uh, looking at investing myself when they come out in January. And uh, hopefully we'll see you over the Dutch uh, for a few beers very, very soon. Any right. plans to head over this way?
1: uh not at this stage yeah i just i was over for sydney craft beer week and then down to adelaide um quickly to brew a gab's beer with uh Lobethal, uh in october um so we've done a nice um saison that we're putting in barrels which is yeah pretty exciting and um at this stage well, with the sort of uk plans and we've got a little bit of um, some couple of other events in uh, hong kong and uh, in us next year probably be maybe sydney craft beer week next year uh might be the next time i'm back
0: uh, not heading over for brews, Vegas.
1: No, not at the stage. my neck of the woods. I'd love to oh, come over. Every time I come to Australia, I think I couldn't. I, I wouldn't mind moving here. <laughs> uh, but I think that's partly because um, you know I'm away from home, and you sort of you get immersed in the, uh, the the great nature of the people in the beer industry, which you obviously know as well. And uh, it's a it's, it's a love of the new. Yeah, it's a
0: pretty cool it's a pretty cool uh, beer industry you got there. And. Uh, I have the same impression whenever I'm uh, over your way as well. So, Stu, great to talk. Hopefully uh, we'll get Thank to have you. a beer again very, very soon, and uh, all the best. All right, my pleasure. See you soon. And that was Stu McKinley. Always great to chat to Stu. Uh, we wish them uh, very best of luck with their plans, and um, it'll be interesting to see whether they get to that total. Uh, let us know if uh, what you think, listeners. As always, beer is a conversation. What do you think? Will you be uh, investing and buying a little bit of equity in the Yeasty Boys? Before we finish up in this edition of Radio Brews News, just have one more sponsor to thank, and that is Brewpack. Brews News is made possible by Brewpack, Australia's number one craft contract brewer. With more than 100 craft beers and ciders on the roster and counting, Brewpack specialises in offering growing craft breweries a home for their packaged and keg beer, no matter how crafty. Serious about handmade beers and with an open door policy. Brewpac's brewers love having passionate, hands-on partners in the brewery. If you're thinking about craft contract brewing, think Pack. And we thank Pack for making Radio Brews News possible when we get it out. Uh, now, don't forget, listeners, that uh, as you head into Christmas, the local tap house has just started running their Hottest 100 Craft Beer Poll of 2014. Don't forget to head along to Brews News, Crafty Pint, or even the tap house's own site and cast your vote. Choose your favourite five craft beers of 2014, and make sure your voice is heard. You can't complain about the results if you don't get in there and vote. Uh, As we head into Christmas, thank you to all of the uh, site supporters. Brews News uh, has many passionate supporters. We thank you very much for your support in 2014, and uh, have a very safe and merry Christmas, and we look forward to seeing you in 2015. Thanks, listeners. Until next time.